will be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. And it is running, and it doesn't look like it's too loud. It looks like it's perfect. Um, here we are, Caitlin. We're sitting here with our coffee, which means that it is time for She's a Woman! <laughs> That's right. We have our coffee, and it's cold out. That's right. Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin. And it's time for She's a Woman! She's a Woman is a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a Woman! <laughs> saying it quite a lot this, this time. Morning. Yeah. <laughs> every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today, Caitlin. How have you been since we last talked? I've been okay, I guess. You know, nothing much to report. Still uh, kind of not in a full lockdown here in New York, but more or less. On our way here, we were struggling with plans, trying to figure out some things that we could do to make ourselves feel happy. Yeah. And every idea that you have is sort of like, well, we can't eat inside or we can't go over to people's houses. So it's just like constantly everything is a no. So we're in a sad situation, basically. Yeah. That's yeah. Like people don't understand how we suffer, you know. But I did want to talk today about something happy. So I wanted to know if you could go down memory lane in your brain and remember one thing that happened in 2020 that was like a great moment. Mine would be spending four days in Amsterdam. Oh yeah. Right around, I think like this time last year, which was always a dream of mine. Even from when I was little, I was like, I wanna go to Amsterdam and now we've done it and we got to like go shopping and we went on a canal ride, the Anne Frank house. And we didn't just go shopping, we went in. Like we yeah. got three huge, beautiful outfits yeah. that looked like they were custom made. And we saw the red light district. Yeah. I've always been curious about, I don't know, I've just, I can't believe that happened in 2020, you know what I mean? And you know what, we earned that trip to Amsterdam because we fought so hard for it. Yeah, yeah, we did. The tour promoter and everything wanted us to come along with everyone else while there was a little bit of a break. And we were like, oh no, we will we're see We're staying you. in Amsterdam, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We exactly. were gonna go back to like- Bournemouth or, or something. something. Yeah, yeah, some random town in the UK and <laughs> I, to the nail. Yeah. My favorite time from 2020 was on the exact same trip, which goes to show how long it's mm -hmm. been since something good happened. Mm -hmm. It was when I did the London Palladium with three girls from New York City. Juicy Lou, Brenda Darling, and Izzy, Izzy Uncut. Uncut. Doing the Palladium was awesome yeah. in its own way, but showing a little bit of my life and sharing it with some of my New York City sisters made it so special. When you have something special in your life, it's not as special unless you have someone to share it with. And I feel like you and I have all these great experiences, but we're like, oh, I wish so-and-so could see it. So we got to share some of our life with our friends, and I thought that was really nice. Anyway, that just made me really happy to think about. And yes, Amsterdam made me really happy to think about. And there's other good things that we get to think about too, I want to dive right into our serious groundbreaking interview, but first, 
Every week we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. <laughs> and the idea is that they'll bring you, Caitlin, and you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is the end of an era. Trump is out of office. And I thought it was like, I feel like we only talk about historical huge moments. And I thought we should talk about this. That is good news. Trump's out. It's really good. According to the New York Times, President Trump departed the White House on Wednesday, January 20th at 8.18 a.m. after four tumultuous years that shook the nation choosing to skip town rather than face the inauguration in person. Now, he made sure to leave his mark. Hours before he was scheduled to depart from the White House, he bestowed pardons on a roster of corrupt politicians and business executives. But that legacy is already being chipped away at because the Biden administration is issuing executive orders to reverse some of the other damage he did. So we're basically turning the page on a new era. And I just thought it was worth noting on this podcast because, well, there are many reasons not to like Trump because obviously his administration saw an increase of fear and hatred across the country, racism, homophobia, transphobia, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and that's just part of it. Wow. Yeah. Right? But especially on this podcast, the way that the Trump era encouraged people to view women, I think, was especially damaging. Mm-hmm. So I think on this podcast, it's worth noting that he's gone and hoping that people will begin to mature a little more when it comes to women's rights and believing women and all of the other things that he damaged. Yeah. And now we have, you know, a woman vice president. Mm-hmm. And... Joe Biden's wife is a teacher. And even as she's uh, now has duties of being the first lady, she says she's going to continue to teach at the college I went to, weirdly. Oh, my yeah. God. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, Northern Virginia. So I just think that's so amazing to be able to see a, yeah. a different type of woman in the White House. And we've had the past right four years. And yeah. Just to see sort of these strong, smart women like um, our vice president and the first lady. Right. And there's two German Shepherds in the White House. And there's two German yeah. Shepherds in the White House. <laughs> First rescue dog ever to oh, be in the White really? House. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, my goodness. And yeah. I'm sure it's a rescue dog in every sense of the word because it has been rescued. And it's rescuing them every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> so good news all around, everybody. And now, having said that, I think it's time for us to take a little break. Okay, we're back. It's time for our groundbreaking interview. And Caitlin, this is someone that you turned me on to that I'm very glad that you did. Actually, you turned me on to her first. Really? I did? Years ago. And then I think you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did, I don't know, a variety hour thing or something yeah. with Murray and Sydney. Uh huh. And they invited you to be the drag queen. And it was like a whole mix of. Uh, people I wasn't there and um you texted me and you were like you should check out Kat Cohen because you had just watched her perform at this whatever the event was that was it I started following her I thought she was so funny I went to club coming a bunch of times to see her show and would invite other people because I was like you have to see how great she is yeah yeah you don't remember that at all at all (laughs) well it just goes to show two Uh, things right off the bat one i'm a genius (laughs) and two i learn something new every day when i do this podcast (laughs) (laughs) anyway 
Let's dive into this interview with our guest, Kat Cohen, who is amazing. Please welcome to the podcast, Kat Cohen, a self-described millennial renaissance woman. Kat Cohen is an American comedian, actress, and performer. She is known for her comedy cabaret live performances, where she delights audiences with hilariously random songs. She has been named one of the comedians to watch on lists produced by Vulture and Time Out. And she has a new book out, God, I Feel Modern Tonight, poems from a gal about town. And now, most importantly, she's here on this distinguished podcast. Kat Cohen, thank you for joining She's a Woman today. Oh my God, I am truly so honored to be here. And I have to tell you, while you were saying that beautiful description, um, my door buzzed because I had, I'm having lunch delivered, like a little princess. And so I'm kind of standing in front of my apartment door holding my laptop and microphone. Um, and it's very, it's, 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 this is what a working woman looks like. Oh, this is what you. it looks like. Yes, I was describing to you that this podcast is all about inspiring people. And here you are doing it right now, you know. I'm really into like lately, like a classic, like deli cut sandwich, just like a big like BLT. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I Of course, I'm a Jewish New Yorker. Of course, I know what you're talking about. Of course, That's, you love deli cuts. Yeah, absolutely. As long as it's kosher. But we were talking just before we started recording about how this year might be a good year. And I was wondering how you're feeling at the beginning of a new year and a new presidency right now. I actually feel like in a good mood, which is crazy. I feel in a good mood right now. I upped my antidepressants. I reorganized my room. I you know, I'm in love. What what could go wrong? We have a new prez. What could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing could go wrong. I upped my antidepressants too. I feel like it's such a good moment. I did a little Kanye West roller coaster where I took a day off of my antidepressants and got the spins. And I was like, no, let's not take time off. Let's go harder. Isn't it amazing how they like actually work? It's like when they work, it's like, wow. Oh, and you know what else? I also the last thing I'll ever say in my whole life, but I also got COVID tested yesterday by this gorgeous Jewish doctor wearing a yarmulke so hot. And he was, flirt he was, he was flirting with me and he said I had dark blood. I'm like, okay, he's into me. <laughs> you had dark blood. Isn't that scary? He was like, you have dark blood. I was like, or car. And he said it's me because I'm dehydrated. And I was like, stop coming on to me. This is inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you see my urine. I know. <laughs> Ooh, la, la. You want to talk about dehydrated. These are the things that make our lives good now, these few human interactions that we have. I know that I've been pretty much isolated for over a year. At the beginning of the podcast, Caitlin and I were talking about how we haven't really been out of the house in over a year, but you have been. But you are a dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you are a dumb bitch. In 2020, you decided to leave the mess of New York behind and go on a road trip across the country with your partner. I know. As someone who is totally afraid of America right now, I have to ask, what was your inspiration for that? And what was it like? I want to live vicariously through you. You know, it was really heavenly. I mean, it was, de we were super like in the middle of nowhere. We were like, went through all the national parks and we were camping. People don't know this, but I'm actually outdoorsy. No one saw it coming. <laughs> it was divine. You know, it was a little disheartening because we didn't see, like we saw so many Trump signs as we were driving around and we were like, what's going to happen in the fall? But it all worked out. 
I was just going to ask, and I'm glad that you brought up the Trump science. I was wondering, do you feel like you got a glimpse into who we are as a nation right now because you got kind of like a little skim overview of so many places? Well, I think it was actually a nice reminder of that America can be good because you go into the national parks and I literally, when I got to Yosemite and I saw the big rocks, I just started sobbing. I didn't know why I was like, why am I crying towards these rocks? But they were just so majestic. I was like, this is so beautiful. I can't believe this is where we live. You know, I I forget too. I forget that we have so much like, and not just, especially right now when what you tell people about why your rent is so high in Mm -hmm. New York is like, well, I can go to the Met anytime I want to. And I can go to Lincoln Center and we don't have that right now. And I feel like I'm being cheated. So, yeah, I I, I forget that we have all these things in the city. We have all these things in this country to be proud of and to protect. So, yeah, thank you for that reminder. I just feel like I couldn't believe how special even like random parts like you don't you don't think you don't walk around New York City ever thinking about Idaho. But all of a sudden you're in Idaho and you're like, this is breathtakingly beautiful. I'm so grateful to be in Idaho right now. Okay, so where should I go that maybe I haven't gone yet? Tell me and I'm going to make it. I'm going to put a pin there. Well, my favorite part was going to the Glacier National Park in Montana. Or yeah, it's in Montana. That was just spectacular. Like the water is, you know, you know when you see that water that's like so light blue, icy, it looks fake. It was like that. And then Idaho, like the Sawtooth Mountains, I was like crying, crying, crying. It was so nice. By the way, I love the fact that there have been so many poets that have described the American landscape. And there's Ansel Adams, who took breathtaking images. And Kat Cohen has described it as spectac. So <laughs> like you, you're you joining the tradition. Oh, my <laughs> God. The pioneers who came before me. Yes. <laughs> I'm Walt Whitman, but make it girl. <laughs> We're talking history here. There we go. Anyway, one of the points of this podcast is to tell the story of incredible women from the very beginning. And so I kind of wanted to get into your history a little bit. Oh my God. Yeah, I know, but in like a nice way. Oh, totally. I'm not going to Oprah you. I'm an OB, open book. It seems like you knew pretty early on that you were determined to be a performer. You started studying musical theater when you were very young, which I feel like I can see your side ponytail in my mind. (laughs) Um, what, (laughs) What were you like as a kid? And when did you know that you were a performer? I don't know. I think I always loved to sing. And it was this objective way of being like, I'm good at this, you know? Yeah. And then I was just, I think because like... As I famously say in one of my songs, no boys wanted to kiss me and no one uh, wanted to be romantic with me. I had to be funny to survive. And I got a rush. I remember being at summer camp and getting such a rush from making like the hot boys laugh. I was like, (laughs) I have a superpower, you know? It's totally demented. I mean, I'm so sick in the head. Like, I need so much validation and affection. I'm really... This actually, this pandemic has been a good time to kind of unpack that, unfortunately. Wait, what are you thinking about it now? Like, I'm obsessed with detaching from external validation. Oh, wow. Good <laughs> luck with that. I mean, I'm a drag queen, so external validation is literally my life's blood. It's the currency, baby. Yeah. I know. It's really tough, but I just felt like... I don't know, just being in my apartment and not being able to like have achievements constantly and attention. I was like, okay, what's the point? Like what really makes you you? What makes you happy? What's why are you alive? You're not alive to get like a retweet. Right. Or maybe you are. Yeah. But I don't think I am. It's that hit <laughs> it's that hit of dopamine that 
some people like us get addicted to just that little, you get a like on your tweet and, or a like on your Instagram picture and it just, it sends you. But when you were, when you were young, you probably had people saying what I think so many young comedians here, especially the comedians that we've had on this podcast, people being like, oh, you're so funny. You should do comedy. When did you start getting the like, you should be a comedian type thing thrown at you? I don't know if I got a ton of it, but I remember in college, someone being like, you should do stand up. And I was like, I don't have uh, anything to talk about. Like my life's been very easy and I um, don't have like an angle or whatever. And then I found out that I could just you know, talk about how easy my life is and all the things I want selfishly. And that could be stand up if you want it to be. (laughs) There's no rules, baby. Absolutely. Yes. Turn all of your first world problems into an oral history. Exactly. I was like, well, I'm just going to say what my ego is really thinking and see if people connect with that. And I think some of them have. So after you, by the way, you went to Princeton, by the way, when you say you went to college, you went to Princeton and you majored in English because you were determined, you were determined to have a financially stable future. Oh my God, sad. I know I was such like, like if I didn't get an A in a class, I would have like such a embarrassing meltdown. I was so hard on myself. It's like been an, it's, oh, it's so exhausting to be so mean to yourself. But then after that, you, you would go on um, to take classes at an even more prestigious university at <laughs> the Upright Citizens Brigade and People's Improv yes. Theater. And so I, I'm kind of imagining this time in your life and I'm wondering, when did you start feeling like you were hitting your stride? I think every New York performer has that moment where they're like, oh, I'm hitting my stride. I'm beginning to become a figure in the city. When did that happen for you? That's so beautiful. I think, I mean, I'm still like, when is my stride coming? Um, no, I <laughs> feel like when I, when I started doing the weekly show at club coming every Wednesday, all of a sudden I felt like it was just the perfect combination of everything I wanted to do. It was like having guests. It felt like a party. I was doing new material. I was with people. I was like hanging out at the bar afterwards. I was like, lo- I love everyone who works there. And I just felt like, oh, this is like the New York I was always dreaming of. Yeah. And I would walk up to the show. Like every Wednesday I'd walk up. Oh, you know what? I remember this is a good memory. I remember um, the show always had like a pretty good crowd, but I remember the Wednesday after I did Seth Meyers, mm. I walked right. up and like, I couldn't get into the, I couldn't make it to the stage because it was so crowded. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I was loving it. Yeah. Oh, that was such a great performance on Seth Meyers, by the way. I watched it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really great. But wait, let's rewind a tiny bit. How did uh, Cabernet Cabaret start? Yeah, well, I had been doing kind of like a solo show at the Duplex with Henry Kapersky, who I write a lot of music with and perform with. And I'd wanted to do a weekly show for a while because it felt like a fun, like community thing. I just love being around people all the time. And I wanted to like host and throw a little party every week. Yeah. And uh, Henry had played a gig at the club, like right when it opened. And so he reached out and yeah, we just, we did, we did a one-off and it went well. So we were like, they had just opened. So we just, it was a totally like timing, a right time kind of thing. And we we're like, can we do every week? And they're like, sure. Yeah. And that's how it all happened. It was that's fast. All. I mean, I cannot wait to get back there. Oh my God. What are you going to do first when you get back to Cabernet Cabaret? I mean, I'm just going to go nuts. I just want to like talk to people. I'm so like the crowd work portion and just like talking to people, you know, before and after the show. It's like that, you know, it's like, that's the stuff. It's the best. Oh, that, that is the stuff. I think people imagine that they're 
especially for me talking to other drag queens, they're always like, I have to do a one woman show. What am I going to talk about? I'm like, oh, I'm excited. Nothing. Don't talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you get up there and you're like, it, it's a Wednesday and it's at night and there's a lot of people and you're like, oh my goodness, it's a Wednesday night and there's a lot of people here. Like it's very <laughs> simple. And everyone's like, oh my God, it is Wednesday and there are people. Yeah. The, the crowd work and interacting and saying nothing and just being together is the, the big part of it. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's what I miss. You also have a much loved show, The Twist, She's Gorgeous at Joe's Pub. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how that came about. Well, that kind of came together from, so when I started doing the duplex shows, they were like half hour, I would do like a half hour and then have guests. And then, you know, pretty soon I was like, oh, I can do this for an hour. And I'd always loved Joe's Pub. And I think I just like, asked my agent to reach out yeah. and I, it took me a long time to get like representation but once I did I was like oh cool they can like help you with this kind of thing right <laughs> to me it was always this thing like oh my god you know you graduate school and you get an agent and then things start happening and it's like no girl you make <laughs> things happen and then the agent's like hey what's up and you have to wait like years and you know but yeah. anyways I think they just reached out and then we started doing it and then we took it to the Edinburgh Fringe and oh my goodness. that was the best. I did it like 25 times in a row or something crazy. And <laughs> now I can't even imagine doing it once. Like, what do you feel? Do you feel like you're going to be so rusty or how are you feeling about getting back out there? Oh my God. That's a really great question. I did a show in a Coney Island parking lot and it's not oh like, Oh my God. It was like, not the like parking lot of the Coles or something like that. It was just an empty lot. I think Pat Regan was there. Oh, yeah. You know my friend yes, Pat? Yes, absolutely. I think he was. Yeah. And uh, Mateo Lane. And it was just like, there were seven cars there. So like 14 audience members total. And they would honk instead of, instead of applauding. <laughs> so Oy. it was just, that was my first performance since February. And I felt my heart pounding. And I was like, mm -hmm. I haven't been in front of four, 14 people for all these months. But what I found out is that it is like riding a bicycle. You get all this adrenaline. Well, I don't know if you get adrenaline when you ride a bicycle. I do because I have no balance. But uh, you get all this adrenaline and suddenly you remember how it works. And I was like, okay, so maybe even if I am covered with rust, it's falling away. And it was really, yeah. it was really a, a great experience. Even though, again, it was literally for 14 people on a freezing cold night in October. It was still a great experience. What about what about you? Are you nervous about getting back on there? Do you feel like you're going to have to do some blink fitness before you get out there on stage? <laughs> or crunch? I don't want to, like, pigeonhole you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I actually have my Equinox membership on pause right now. Wow. I know. He's one of those ladies. I've been there, like, three times. You say gal about town. I should have known Equinox. I don't even know what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't know why I joined it because I literally don't go, but you know, we'll see. Anyways, the point is I know I think similar to you, I feel like it, it, the magic will be right back there. I'll be totally manic excited, but I do think I already know that I've forgotten so many of my jokes, lyrics to my own songs. I'm like, what? Yeah. I wrote this. I can't remember it at all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to have to do a little bit more rehearsal maybe before I do like my hour again. But beyond that, no, the... The X Factor remains. The X Factor, <laughs> yes. 
I still have it. You know what I mean? I've forgotten all the lyrics to all of my mixes and everything like that. And I'm going to have to rehearse, which listeners, if you're a New York performer, whether you're good or not, it has nothing to do with it. Like you're always doing something. So you never really have to rehearse if you are like a cabaret performer or a drag queen or a comedian, because every day is rehearsal on stage. Right. So, yeah. but yeah, now we're going to have to go back and actually do the work that like Broadway performers do, um, which is. Uh, yeah. Cut to us at Ripley Greer, like Rip- running our oh, songs. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, the reason you chose Equinox is because of Keels. I just thought I'd put that out yeah, there. Of course. So I don't want you to Thank feel. Thank you for reminding me of. Right. You have values. You know, I used to go in and I would bring my own little bottles and I would fill them up and take them home. Shut up. <laughs> that is like, that is something that is so no. New York. That's something my New York grandmother would do. Just, <laughs> she used to, I used to have a, a New York grandmother. And what she would do is instead of grocery shopping, she would go to all of the Whole Foods and swipe the full tray of samples from like the bakery oh and my stuff God. into paper bags. Amazing. And then, so like if I, I came over for lunch, we would have like 40 pieces of a croissant on a plate. And it was just. <laughs> That's amazing. It goes to show that if you live in New York and you don't have any money, you can still lead a fascinating life. Yeah. Or you can even have enough money to join Equinox and still kind of refuse to pay for shampoo, which is <laughs> <Right>. cool. <laughs> It's all about where you where you allocate your resources. Oh, absolutely. It's called planning. So now you have this amazing book out, which I read and love. I meant to ask oh my you God, this. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. I saw it on the table of Izzy Uncut, uh, the drag queen. And I was like, well, I'm taking this. There, I saw it on the floor where someone had thrown it out in the street and I picked yeah, it up. I was like, I what it. is this? <laughs> I saw it on the sample counter at Whole Foods and I... <laughs> Swiped it. Swiped it. Cut it up into 40 pieces. Wait, I meant to ask you this before we started recording, but I wanted to ask, do you have a copy nearby you? Are you like me where you keep everything that you've ever made like within arm's reach at all times? Yeah, of course. I actually just got, I just unboxed the uh, hardcover copies uh, yesterday. I was wondering. Gotta get you one, yeah. Yeah, if you could read me a poem. Oh my God, I'd be honored. Yeah, let me go get it one sec. And we're back. And we're back. But yeah, I have these two poems that I love. And I was like, well, I could read them in when I'm introducing Kat Cohen, but no one can do your reading voice, your speaking voice justice. So. Oh, I'm honored. Some of my faves are on page 16, a poem that you wrote after you ruined the bathroom <laughs> at Au Bon Pain. Absolutely. Oh my God. This is so fun. Okay. Poem I wrote after I ruined the bathroom at Au Bon Pain. I haven't listened to a new song since college, and I'm not going to start now. The only kind of films I like are where a woman in a wig tries to produce a male heir for her stoic husband. The only kind of music I like is where a man with a long beard whispers near a tree. Oh no, the handsome guy is trying to do comedy. Oh no, the polyamorous couple is taking a cooking class. The older I get, the more I find Instagram to be an amazing place to watch your camp friend's fiancé wakeboard. Thank you. Oh my God. It's so snaps, snaps in this cabaret. It's so good. I felt like I was reading a description of my own life because I too 
am not going to listen to anything but what I listened to in college. I know. What are your favorites? <laughs> I'm still like an Amy Winehouse and Neutral yes. Milk Hotel. Oh, absolutely. Uh, type person. And I'm stuck there. And I've like, I don't even have a subscription to a streaming service. And I feel like I need to fix it. Wow. Um, no, but Spotify. like, I don't even have Spotify or Apple Music. Nothing. That's just iTunes. Yeah, just iTunes, old, like iPod style. That's amazing. So what I love about your poetry is that it walks the line between really heartfelt moments that are deep poetry and then moments where you are almost making fun of poetry as a form. And I was wondering if you could <laughs> talk about that that line between drama and comedy that you that you walk a little bit. Oh my god, I love that description. Yeah, I mean it's completely embarrassing that I write poetry, but I adore it. I just feel like poems are good because reading a whole book is really hard, but if you want to read like a little something and that's still packed, I feel like okay, let me let me, let me this is going to be really really smart. I'm ready. You read a poem. You read a poem. You get the same emotional impact as a whole big book in just one page. Yes. You know when you read a line and you're just like, "Oh my god, what just happened to me?" It's all about the end. You have to like put the book down on the train and like look out the window for a while. You're like, "I just You're like cold all of a sudden. You get I get so cold when I feel moved. <laughs> oh god. That moment when, yeah, absolutely. And I like the fact that I can hear your tweet voice sometimes. And then, but there are other... Well, a lot of them, a lot of the lines started as tweets and then they stick them in little poems. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's not all that. There are moments where we really get to look into your heart. And I was wondering if you could read... By the way, everyone that's listening to this podcast, welcome to... Cracker's seminar on contemporary poetics. Uh, if you could, yes. <laughs> if you could read the poem that you wrote after you downloaded The Sims at age twenty-eight during quarantine, <laughs> I would be, <laughs> I would be honored. Poem I wrote after I downloaded The Sims at age twenty-eight during quarantine. In Paris, we couldn't figure out how to get to the Arc de Triomphe, so we went to Sephora. We had pink wine by the water, and you told me you didn't think anyone ever died from getting fingered too hard. That night, I got McDonald's and watched 13 Reasons Why alone on my laptop in Paris. I never told anyone that. A few weeks ago, I broke a glass in my apartment, and I was too lazy to clean it up, so I kind of just pushed it into a corner. And now every few days, I step on a tiny piece of glass. It doesn't hurt. It's just part of my new lifestyle. Can you die from being in a bad mood? And beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> There's like so much of it is comedy, but you get that taste of the loneliness of quarantine and I, I don't know I thought it was really a, a gorgeous poem well thank you I feel really lucky that I like it the book was basically kind of done in like February and then my editor was like why don't you try and write some stuff in quarantine because you know it's going to come out later and you want it to feel like of the moment and I was like oh I'm not feeling creative I don't know and then eventually like the quarantine poems started coming and I feel like they it totally changed the whole vibe yeah. of the book and how I write in general. So I feel lucky for the timing of that, even though it was obviously hell on earth. It is this really nice moment that pins the book to now. In a past interview, you said that reading a poem should feel like reading someone's secrets and your poems, Ooh. right? <laughs> I like that. First of all, I literally, I, let me just say that I'm, I'm literally honored and so flattered that you like pr 
prepared for this conversation because when I do my podcast, I'm literally like, wait, what did you, I literally, we had, um, you know, Jordan Firstman, the Instagram sensation. Of course. He, so he's he's the best. And he came on the podcast a while ago and he he was like, wait, have you guys not seen any of my films or any of my work? And we were like, no. Ah! <laughs> it was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it feels very nice to be taken care of as a guest on a podcast. Oh and my I, God. you're inspiring me to maybe do, do a little bit of that. I think my like I listen to Fresh Air and Terry Gross, and mm-hmm. every time there we go. she's like, so you grew up in Brooklyn, and they're like, I grew up in Oakland. I always get like this, like, <laughs> and I'm afraid of that. Oh my God, Kat, we're getting a package now too. Oh my God, I wonder what it is. Is I it my too. sandwich? <laughs> Caitlin, is it a sandwich? Anyway, you, your poems are filled with things that feel like secrets, and I am a writer myself, hair toss, and I'm always terrified by people reading my work, especially people that I know. So I'm curious what it feels like to be open in poetry and have this stuff out there. I, you know, I'm numb to that at this point, but because I'm so used to sharing and talking about like my pussy hole on stage. Right. Um, can I curse on this pod? You have to. Yeah. Especially if it has to do with pussy, because this is what feminism. There we go. I'm feminist vibes. Um, Yeah. You know, honestly, the part that is scary is when I was sharing the poems that were a bit more serious. That to me was like very that that's more vulnerable than saying something intimate about my sex life or whatever, you know. And but it does feel safe. It feels safer as like a written thing as opposed to saying something on stage or being in a video or something. It feels like my little. I just put it out in my newsletter and I'm like, okay, bye. And I forget about it. Wait, I have, th- I had this vision of you and your relationships now. Are you one of those comedians whose partners is like, stop defending yourself with comedy. Stop telling jokes to avoid intimacy. Like, do you, do you get that? <laughs> no, I never avoid intimacy. I'm like, I have the opposite problem where I'm just like, let's like have a talk. I'm always just like, tell me about like everything you love and hate about me. And let's like get into it. <laughs> Because I'm bored. Right. Literally, I'll be like, how can I stir the pot today? I'm like, what should I say to kind of push his buttons? <laughs> I have, I, I, I'm newly in like OCD therapy and I'm realizing that it's actually a compulsion. Like I have this compulsion to confirm like the love he has for me in right. our relationship, which is, it's so like detrimental to our relationship. I'm like, you already know he loves you. You don't need to hear it every day. Like he tells you, you don't need to keep pushing him and prodding him to say these ridiculous romantic gestures every single day because that wouldn't mean anything then, you know? Right. Are you in a relationship? I am. And confirming and confessing is the, is like, I have OCD too. Mm-hmm. And confirming all the time and confessing mm-hmm. thoughts all the time is just like, that's oh. not, that's how I am in all of my relationships especially if i have a new friendship like me and you is it like you and me if after this i email (laughs) and i'm like hey you know thanks for being on the podcast within the 24 hours it takes you to respond i'm gonna be like you know what actually it's fine i'm not immediately likable so i understand that she doesn't like (laughs) me and it's just part of me that i am not supposed to have friends so do you know what i mean like the ocd the ocd plants a little earworm in your brain and then it just bores all the way through yeah that's a familiar tune i have that you know you have amy winehouse i have that exactly a familiar tune exactly (laughs) when it comes to like ocd medication you know that machine in princess bride where they like essentially waterboard wesley like (laughs) 
that's how much OCD medication that I want. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those movies that I'm like, okay, calm down. You know what I mean? Everyone's always on about it. It's like, no, it's like, I don't care about the Princess Bride. And I'm okay saying that. I understand. There are some <laughs> things that you've just been, you can't worship at that church anymore. You've, you've grown out of it. You right. Know? Though it is useful to know about rodents of unusual size because there are people that look like rodents of unusual size and we all have to have seen the movie <laughs> so we can laugh about it. Anyway, being someone who's published, I feel like a lot of people will look at that and say, I'll never get there. And I wanted to ask if, if there's a young woman listening who is on her way to becoming a published author, like what advice do you have for aspiring young writers? Oh, amazing. Well, I, I would say you can definitely get published and all you have to do is write the thing that you want to have published. Yeah. Don't wait to meet the right person or have the connect or whatever. Just have your work ready so that when the introduction comes you know, the times, right? Like I, I remember I sent a manuscript of all these poems to my agents like two years before I met my editor and mm -hmm. it was, became a reality, you right. know? So I just think just work on the thing that, you know, you, you know, if you want, if you do this, it's because you love it and you want to do it and you'll do it and then it'll happen. Yeah. Wow. That was so eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think there, there is something there that I think a lot of people wait for the moment. Caitlin and I talk about this a lot when it comes to graduate school, people apply for an MFA. Mm. They're like, okay, I'm going to be a writer now. I'm going to apply to complete my MFA. And so I'm going to write a bunch of short stories now. And it's like, well, actually, you should be writing all the time if you want to pursue mm -hmm. a career as a writer. So don't wait for that, that moment you're applying to write all the stories. Be writing all the time. Totally. And for better or for worse, like you can put your work out there so easily now. And you can have like a blog or a sub stack or you can just post your shit on Instagram or whatever. And there are people who will find it and see it. Yeah. I, I, I get that it's it can be tough. Like you're like, well, I'm working on like a novel or a longer form thing. You know, how do I drum up that attention while I'm like pining away? Yeah. And you have to just, I guess, be patient. Uh, yeah. yeah I, that's what I have a hard time with, like working on something that's longer than like whatever I can post and get immediate, you know, validation. For. Yeah. Right now my recommendation is to take selfies of yourself while you're writing. And that way you can get your little <laughs> dopamine rewards as you go. You know what I'm saying? There we go. That's genius. Stay tuned for a big announcement. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah. <laughs> but you haven't just been working on your writing and your book. You've been raising money for Loveland Foundation. So can you talk about Loveland Foundation a little bit? Yeah, well, it helps fund therapy for black women and girls. And I just think, I mean, therapy is so important. Everyone needs it. And in general, black women have a harder time getting the health care they need in this country because this country is absolutely twisted. Yeah. So yeah, it's a cool organization. And I figured, you know, if I'm gonna be putting stuff out there and people want to donate, why not, you know, make it happen. And so on our Instagram, she's a woman podcast, we're going to share some information about Loveland Foundation so that you can join the cause as well. Having said that, my children, this is what I want to know from every single one of my guests. What is bubbling away on that back burner? What's next for Kat Cohen in your dreams? Ooh, in my, I want to be a movie star. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
she's ready. If she's published now, she wants to be on that celluloid screen. I know. Enough. Enough already. I'm so good at it. Let me in. Let me into the screen. I'm so good. By the way, reading some of the things about you in like Interview Magazine, they always describe you as like this, just the easy, breezy, beautiful, stylish icon. It's hilarious. It's so, it is <laughs> like, I'm like, I am so sad that we don't get to have you actually in our studio so that I could do one of those breezy descriptions of what you're wearing. Like that's... Let I me mean, Let me do it for you. I'm breezily wearing the clothes I slept in last night. I'm wearing um, hot pink kind of juicy couture-esque sweatpants, velour. (laughs) And um, I'm I'm kind of, I'm braless in a old cropped sweater lavender from Urban Outfitters, my favorite boutique. I was going to tell you all that's missing was the accent and you came in with it at the last minute. Yeah, you just need that. People who say Paris, you know, that's the the accent that you need. Anyway, for all my listeners, this is an intensely Googleable and YouTubeable person. So if you have a chance, do a little search and have a look at some of Kat Cohen's comedy and cabaret performances. They're absolutely wonderful. I'm a genius for introducing Caitlin <laughs> to Kat Cohen years ago. And thank you so much for joining us today, Kat. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. I absolutely adore you. You're so fab. This was so fun. And we'll talk soon. T- sounds great. Well, that was a really great interview and very, she makes me happy because she always sounds like she's having a good time, which, you know. Yeah. I love her voice and the way she talks. Mm-hmm. What do people say? I could listen to her read the phone book or whatever. That's right. Yeah. It's like, she has that type of, the way she uh, enunciates and like inflects her words. I just feel like I could listen to her talk all day. <laughs> That's why I wanted to have her read those poems because I was like, if the audience is going to get what she does, they're going to have to hear her read them herself. Yeah. And I've seen her live enough times that I kind of know her voice. And so even when I'm just scrolling through Twitter, if I come across her tweet, my mind is in her voice as I, as I'm reading it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, Let's take buy her book. Oh yeah. yeah. Buy her book. It's called God, I Feel Modern Tonight, Poems from a Gal About Town. So enjoy it, love it. And I think it's time for a little break. Okay, we're back. All right, first of all, I want to say this. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and review it. We love reviews. In fact, we love them so much We're going to read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the show. Caitlin, do you have a favorite review this week? I'm going to pivot, and it's Mm. not a review. Oh, what is it? But I'm going to talk about an email that we got from our first guest, uh, Janine Cook, who has Harriet's Bookshop in Philadelphia. She emailed and said, I have to tell you, we have received so much positive love from doing your podcast. Someone just called me in tears. You, my friend, are a powerhouse gatekeeper. Thank you for opening this door to me, Janine. You know what? That makes me really happy, not just because I feel like the podcast is doing something, but because I feel like our listeners are doing something. Yeah, they're listening to these guests, and they're researching them themselves and seeing what they do, and they're connecting with some of the people that we're interviewing, which I think is what we wanted, what we set out to do. Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. That made me really happy. You're welcome. I really did that fast. You did do it (laughs) fast. We We love a quick pivot. Anyway, enough about that. 
it's time for my favorite part of each episode, the credits. <laughs> this podcast was produced by Caitlin Gretham, and then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, and it's distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, she's a... Oh, I forgot again. <laughs> I down. Okay. All you have to do is look in the mirror and say, she's a woman. And I'll be with you. There you go. <laughs> you can do it. You know how to do it. I was it. like reading along with the text as you said it and somehow zoned out. You know what I mean? <laughs> what text? It all comes out oh. of my brain. <laughs>